0: Fluid samples are one of the most commonly encountered samples in cytopathology and may show a range of benign inflammatory and neoplastic disease processes. A structured approach to these samples is important according to Dr. Sarah Jang who will be teaching a course on this topic at CAP20 which will be held virtually this year. In this capcast, Dr. Jang discusses efforts to standardize cytology reporting and how pathologists can enhance their ability to recognize key cytologic features of inflammatory and malignant processes. Doctor Jang, are there efforts underway to standardize cytology
1: reporting? So yes, there's been a long history for standardization in cytology reporting, and probably the most famous of these is the Bethesda system for reporting cervical cytology, which has been widely used for a number of years. There's also a Bethesda system for thyroid cytopathology. More recently, we've seen the Paris system for urine cytopathology, and most recently, the Milan system for salary gland cytology. And so the international system is tackling one of the most common samples in cytology, and that is body cavity fluids. These are very, very commonly encountered, but up until now, we've not had a system for standardizing reporting. And how can
0: knowing and using the international system for reporting serous fluid cytology help pathologists to more effectively report serous fluid cytology?
1: So the goal of standardization is really to help us all speak the same language. So whether a patient is seen in Durham, North Carolina, Chicago, Illinois, London, Portugal, Spain, the report will have the same categories. Um, Why is this important? Number one, this is going to help patients and other physicians to be able to interpret their results better so that we're comparing apples to apples so that we're not dealing with all these different terminologies if a patient is seen in one center versus another. So that's really, really helpful. In addition, having the same diagnostic categories allows us to collect information on performance, risk of malignancy for different categories. And so if we all use the same language, then we're able to collect large-scale data on what these results mean for a given patient. And so it's great for research, for prognostication efforts as well.
0: What can pathologists do to enhance their ability to recognize key cytologic features of inflammatory and malignant processes?
1: So as I always tell my trainees, the key is recognizing the features of normals. So in serous fluids, mesothelial cells can take on a wide range of appearances. And knowing this range of appearances allows us to understand when there's something that's out of the range of normal. So while serous fluids from the peritoneal, pleural, and pericardial spaces share many characteristics, there's also some unique considerations in what can normally be present. So, for instance, pericardial mesothelial cells are infamous for being very, very atypical-looking, even when reactive. Or, for instance, in the peritoneum, you may have, for females, benign female GYN tract components, such as those that you see in endosalpingiosis or endometriosis. So understanding the site-specific normal is also important. Once you understand normal, then you'll be able to look for a population of intruders. I always say, you know, look for the alien population, and that is either inflammatory cells or malignancy, and you can identify it more readily because it looks different from what's there normally. Also very important is integrating clinical information. So if the patient has a history of malignancy or, you know, the imaging findings, so for instance, for mesothelial proliferations, looking at imaging is absolutely critical to making the right diagnosis.
0: Will you and Dr. Wojcik discuss how pathologists should select and apply ancillary testing for challenging serous fluid cytology cases?
1: Absolutely. So a lot of the serous fluid cytology cases can be signed out without any ancillary testing, but there's a couple of instances where picking the right tests, judiciously using them, can be really helpful to establish a diagnosis probably the most common of these is identifying metastases. So if a patient has a history of colon cancer, lung cancer, another kind of cancer, um, being able to use a limited panel is really helpful to distinguish that cancer versus, for instance, mesothelial proliferations, which may look similar or mimic a metastases. The other instance that we'll discuss is looking at mesothelial proliferations and using ancillary testing to try to distinguish between benign and malignant proliferations there. Finally, what do you hope participants will take away from this course? So I think the most important is to understand the new international system, what the categories are, and why it's important to move towards standardization, how to use it to help guide patient care. We're going to discuss the range of appearances of normal mesothelial cells, normal components of serous fluids, and then use that to build upon the cytomorphology of distinguishing abnormal populations. So we'll go through the features of things like common metastases or mesotheliomas as well. And then, of course, as we just talked about, when to apply ancillary testing and what ancillary tests may be useful in working up these fluids. Thank you, Dr. Chang.
0: Dr. Chang will be joined by Dr. Eva Wojcik in teaching a course on this topic entitled Let's Get Serious About Fluid Psychology, Old Pitfalls and New Terminology. For more information on the CAP20 virtual event, please visit capannualmeetings.org. Thank you for listening to this CapCast. Be sure to listen to our other CapCasts from the CAP on our SoundCloud channel by downloading the SoundCloud app on your mobile device. And we're also on Apple Podcasts and the Stitcher app. To find this podcast, search for the word CapCast on these apps. Once you find our podcast, be sure to click the subscribe button so you don't miss new CapCast episodes.